Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm great, and I'm not tired or stressed out or anything. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this intro is the biggest crock of crap. I'm just stressing <laughs> out and basically shaking at this point. We are two days away from going to CrimeCon, mere hours from like me losing my mind and trying to get my kids to another town to my parents for them to watch them and somehow pack and edit and record this episode. But we're excited to record it. But yeah, it's a lot in one week. We're not ever very good about getting ahead of things. We always want to. And then I know. And I have family in town too this week. So that's been another thing I've had to do. Just I love them. I love seeing all good things. Yeah, yeah. But just adds things to my to-do list for the week. So that is where we are at. We are both really excited to go to CrimeCon in a couple days, but we are. I think we're both just trying to make it there yeah. right now. <laughs> I just need somebody to get me through the gate onto a plane, and I'm probably just going to pass out in my seat. They'll be like, has that lady been drinking all day? No, she's just, <laughs> she's just crying for no reason. No, <laughs> we'll be good. And we can't wait to see you guys there, and this will come out after it. And I bet we'll have had the greatest time of our lives, Mandy. It'll be so much fun. I know. I know that we will. I'm (laughs) very excited. So getting right into this week's episode. When people in positions of power take advantage of the more vulnerable around them, there can be some devastating consequences. Today's episode is about what was nearly a life-ending situation for one man and how his ex-wife, a practicing therapist, went to great lengths to hire a hitman to have him murdered. This story comes to us from Casper, Wyoming, and before we get into it, we're going to tell you all about Casper in this week's segment of We Googled This City. Thank you, Mandy. I don't know why I keep doing that lately, but that's just (laughs) a new thing. Okay, so Casper is nicknamed the Oil City and has a very long history of oil boomtown cowboy culture, really that dates back to the development of the nearby Salt Creek oil field. There is a replica of Fort Casper named after Lieutenant Casper Collins, and there's ghost tours that you can take every summer around Casper. I, at some point, was not finding a lot of Casper facts, so I asked our Facebook group, and our dear friend Lydia gave me that fact from her friend that lives in Casper. So apparently there's a really cool ghost tour thing that you can take. To me, it's not cool because I'm scared of ghosts, but some people (laughs) might really, really like it. And I love that it's a ghost tour, and it's called Casper. I thought that was fun. I just literally putting that together right this second. (laughs) Casper is actually the second largest city in Wyoming with a population of 55,000, which is so crazy to me to be the second largest city in Wyoming with that kind of a number. But I don't know what I was expecting. I never know what I'm expecting. I'm always surprised. And Wyoming has the lowest population of all 50 of the United States, if you can't tell by that other fact I just gave you, but Wyoming was the first state to give women the right to vote. Way to go, Wyoming. Nice. Wyoming's slogan is Forever West, and that is a really great representation of the state. But if we were coming up with new slogans, because I really didn't have a whole lot of facts, here are the ones I came up with. And actually, I had help from Kim with People Are Wild because my brain is really not working today. So Wyoming, we're the cousin you only see at your family reunion. Wyoming, you're not in Canada yet. Wyoming. (laughs) Wyoming, the other square state. The last one should really be Wyoming. Why is Melissa still doing this to us? (laughs) (laughs) That's where I'm ending it. Okay. 
So the story begins in 2003 when Terry Thomas decided to check out the dating app scene following his recent divorce. He was ready to open his heart again and find a woman to spend his time with, and that is how he met Cynthia, who was also recently divorced and she was a single mother. Cynthia was an educated woman who held a bachelor's degree in petroleum engineering, which she received from the Colorado School of Mines, and she also had an AA degree in math from Casper College, another bachelor's degree in social work from the University of Wyoming, and a master's degree from Florida State. That is so much school. Florida State, Florida State, Florida State. <laughs> I'm just ignoring that, but that's a lot of schooling. That's It is. And did I know that you could get a degree in petroleum engineering? No. I don't I even can, know what you do with that, honestly. I can barely spell the word petroleum. <laughs> <laughs> Terry and Cynthia communicated online for a while and felt that there was enough of a spark to take it to the next level and to meet in person. They bonded over their respective divorces and grew very close very quickly. They made each other laugh and they genuinely had fun together. So this fiery romance led to a very quick marriage just seven months after they met, and Terry was really over the moon at this new start in life with this new woman that he absolutely adored. The newlyweds moved in together, and Terry developed a close relationship with Cynthia's children. The couple had a fun and fast-paced life with lots of traveling and enjoying each other's company. Cynthia was passionate about her work as a therapist where she specialized in addiction and she dedicated several hours of her time to social work and helping the less fortunate. She was really, her patients described her as being actually a really good doctor and she was very upbeat and she truly wanted her patients and others that were struggling in the community to better their lives. Most of her patients were seeing her on court orders to get sober, but they all really liked her and looked up to her as a role model. Terry was a successful businessman making a six-figure income as a fuel salesman, and the couple was very comfortable financially. They owned multiple homes, some were rental properties, and some Terry owned prior to his marriage to Cynthia, but they both drove nice cars. They really had all the finer things in life. Despite having what seemed to be a very nice life, the couple's marriage began to strain just a few years in. Terry was starting to see a side of Cynthia that he had not previously seen. He described this change in her behavior as a Jekyll and Hyde type of personality, and he said that she would flip a switch and just lose her temper in an instant, which I thought was kind of surprising from a therapist. Yeah, it's got to be hard after you've committed to this person, you've already gone through this whole relationship. And I feel like meeting somebody online in the dating scene and they waited a little while to meet each other. Um, that's how I met my husband. I feel like you really do get to know somebody pretty well. I mean, you can put what you want to online, but you can get to know them pretty well, I think. So the tensions between Terry and Cynthia heightened when Terry was offered a job that would require the family to move three hours away from where they were living. And Cynthia really dug in her heels and just refused to go. She, of course, had this job that she really loved. She was very involved in the community, and she didn't want to give that up and move three hours away. Terry was unwilling to turn down this position and decided to take the job despite Cynthia's protesting. So he moved to Cheyenne, Wyoming in 2008, and he even bought himself a home to live in there. Yikes. Like, yeah, not rental. He's like, this is what I'm doing. You come with me or you don't come with me. Like, that's a. You know, things are pretty bad at that point if you are willing to just go and buy a house in another city and, you know, just knowing your spouse is not coming. Right. Exactly. 
So at this point, their marriage was really on the rocks, and Terry felt that some time apart might actually be a good thing for them. But in this case, it wasn't a situation where absence makes the heart grow fonder. Cynthia staying behind in Casper actually worsened their relationship. She purchased a new home in Casper for herself and her children to live in in 2010, and the distance and this rift really just continued to grow between her and Terry during throughout all of these years. Their entire relationship really devolved into nightly arguments and screaming matches over the phone, and it was clear that there were really just no more happy times in store for this couple. In 2012, Thomas finally filed for divorce. The only real dispute between the couple was how they were going to split up their assets. As we said before, they had a lot of stuff. It was decided that Terry would be allowed to keep his home in Cheyenne that was valued at $775,000, and he had over $200,000 in equity, so he was going to be able to keep all of that, as well as his two rental properties, which he owned before the marriage. They were going to sell their home in Casper and split the money evenly. And then the couple's bank accounts were also divided up, and Cynthia was allowed to keep her own retirement and pension accounts, as well as 40% of Terry's retirement assets. So out of all the retirement assets, Cynthia was awarded $81,375 in total, and Terry only got $26,592 of that money. And I know you guys are probably like, why are we talking about all these numbers? But it's really important to show how well Cynthia actually made out in this divorce. That's what I was Um, thinking. Yeah, because they both came into it, you know, with previous lives and previous marriages. So they both had their own, you know, their own accounts and their own savings and retirement and and even houses and cars and things. So I was kind of surprised that for such a short marriage, especially, that she was awarded kind of a lot. Out of his retirement. Yeah, a, a lot of it. And so that does surprise me, but it comes up in the story later on. So it's important to just note that she actually did do pretty well in this divorce. In addition to everything that I just mentioned, Terry was also made to pay $20,000 towards Cynthia's student debt. I need to get in on that, Terry. (laughs) Yeah. Cynthia also kept her own vehicle, but Terry was awarded the four other vehicles that the couple owned together. All in all, to me, this seemed like a very fair split of the assets. And it seemed like she walked away with a lot more than what she actually contributed. So She really shouldn't have had that much to complain about, but complain she did. She appealed the divorce decree and alleged that the court had a bias against her and that the division of assets was inequitable. I just can't imagine going to the court after all of that. And I just feel like if you're getting divorced, you just kind of want to get it, get on with it. Yeah. But she was really digging in her heels and wanted to get more out of Terry. This reminds me of... Bethany and Jason Hoppy from Real Housewives of New York and their divorce, no kidding, Mandy, has gone on for longer than they were married. They were married less than four years and it's gone on longer than that. And every single thing, they fight over money, all that stuff. But it's like at some point, they just want to hurt each other. And it almost seemed like she was just like, she would have been fine with the money she had, but she just wanted to hurt him to me and take take everything he had, like where it's not, it's not just walking away. She's going to hurt him. Yeah. In 2014, the Wyoming Supreme Court upheld the original divorce decree and the division of the assets, and the couple's divorce was finalized. 
Throughout the whole divorce process, Cynthia complained to co-workers about how she was being treated unfairly by the courts, and she spent a lot of time stressing over the financial side of the divorce and didn't want to give up the lifestyle and material things that she had kind of grown accustomed to while she was married to Terry. This realization that she would no longer have all of the things she used to have made her very upset, and she just flat out refused to accept it. Little did anyone know, but this very strong and intelligent woman who was this practicing and licensed therapist was teetering on the verge of a mental breakdown, and she was about to set a very serious string of events into motion. And we are going to get into the details of that after a quick break for a word from this week's sponsors. This year for Father's Day, I'm gifting my favorite storyteller, my dad, with the gift of StoryWorth. Growing up, I've always known when my dad had a story to tell, it was time to stop what I was doing and listen up. A few years ago in passing, actually, my dad told me the story of the first time he tried stand-up back whenever I was a really small kid, and I had no idea he ever did that, and it made me wonder what other stories I was missing out on. With StoryWorth, I don't have to wonder anymore. StoryWorth is a subscription you purchase for someone you love, and each week they receive a question about their life, and they simply respond to the email with their answer. Best of all, you can edit the questions to be specific for your family. At the end of the year, they'll get the stories bound in a beautiful hardcover book. You can add stories, photos, and even invite other people to view the stories. I love how easy the site is to use and that there is no real work involved. The questions are sent and you get everything from the sentimental to the hilarious. It's a really great way to learn those stories that your family member may have forgotten. Since the book is a year in the making, it's even great for a last minute gift that once complete, you'll be able to share with your family for generations to come. For $20 off, visit storyworth.com slash moms when you subscribe. Again, for $20 off, visit storyworth.com slash moms when you subscribe. Summertime is my favorite time which means I am spending more time soaking up the sun and trying to spend less time prepping meals for people that would gladly eat pizza every night if I allowed them to. That's why I'm loving HelloFresh. HelloFresh does all the meal planning, shopping, and prepping, so you can focus on a healthier you and a happier family. With HelloFresh, you get seasonal, simple recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door every week. I can spend less time meal planning and grocery shopping and more time begging the sun to go down just a little earlier so my kid will believe me that it is in fact bedtime. All HelloFresh meals come together in 30 minutes max, call for less than two pots and pans, and require minimal cleanup. Minimal cleanup is my jam. A few weeks ago, I tried the chicken pineapple quesadillas with pico de gallo and southwest spice. These were the perfect combination of spicy and sweet with a little bit of southwest spice and pineapple in each bite. These quickly became a family favorite at my house. For $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomsAndMurder80 and enter MomsAndMurder80. Again, for $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomsAndMurder80 and enter MomsAndMurder80. And now back to the episode. So here's where the story really just takes on a life of its own. So Cynthia has evidently decided that the best way to deal with all of this feuding over the assets was simply to have her ex-husband Terry murdered, and she intended to use one of her very vulnerable patients to help her pull it off. The patient she chose was a woman who had been court-ordered to attend therapy sessions and to complete a program in order to regain custody of her children. Like, this lady is there to better herself, get her kids back. She just wants to do that, and she's Cynthia's looking at her almost like a target because she knows this lady is desperate. 
She chose this woman because through her therapy sessions, Cynthia had learned that the patient had previously had contacts in the Mexican cartel during an earlier time in her life, and she wanted her to use them to contract a murder for hire on Terry, who is like, I want to get in with the Mexican cartel. I thought you wanted to get out of (laughs) being with him. Not Cynthia. Not Cynthia. Cynthia told the woman that if she did not help her find a hitman, she would have her sent back to jail and would not sign off on her therapy completion. Oh my gosh. Like how sick is that to say, if you don't help me kill my husband, I'm going to send you to jail. I'm going to lie. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter how much work you did. You can't be with your kids because you won't help me kill someone. Right. And like this person is very vulnerable. I mean, they, these are people that are like at their rock bottom. Like she has lost her kids, like all that. And can you imagine your therapist, this person that you've been confiding in and you're like going through this program and you trust this person, you think they are a doctor that is helping you and that is going to help you better your life. And then they're coming and asking if you know uh, somebody that would do a murder for hire. Like I just cannot imagine. No being in that position. The patient was stunned at this proposition, obviously, but she kept her composure and agreed to the arrangement, even telling Cynthia that she had this cousin named Frankie who she could contact about such a job. This woman really thought on her feet. So all the while, this woman was planning on calling the police as soon as she was out of there and able to do so. So when the police first heard this allegation that a therapist had solicited her patient in a murder-for-hire plot, they were skeptical that it was even true. And they wondered if this patient was suffering from delusions or possibly had like a personal vendetta against Cynthia. But of course, they had to at least check it out to be sure. Special Agent Tina Trimble and Sergeant Sarah Nelson were put on the case and came up with a plan to have the patient wear a wire during her therapy session with Cynthia and hopefully to get her to talk about the plan to have her husband murdered. While this operation was going on, the two female officers actually had to go hide in a like coat closet or was it like a janitor's closet, I think? Mm -hmm. And they had to hide in there to be able to hear this while other officers are all around this building, you know, from the outside. But they have to be obviously super, super careful. And again, they don't even know. They're still kind of skeptical at this point. Like, you know, this lady could just be pulling our leg and we're, you know, doing this whole thing and it's not even true. So they knew they were putting the patient in a really compromising position as well. If Cynthia were to notice a wire or realize she was surrounded by all these agents, of course, things could get very ugly very quickly. But the patient was really confident and cool, and she walked right into Cynthia's office and played her part well. I was amazed because you can hear the recordings. Uh, I listened to the recordings of this lady, and she just doesn't bat an eye. Just everything they talk about, she doesn't sound nervous. She sounds like, yeah, I'm just going to get my cousin Frankie. You know, it's a very just business-like conversation. No qualms whatsoever. Like, I would be shaking like a leaf in there, but she, you know, she knows that this is going to, you know, hoping that this will help. So when she went into the office, she asked Cynthia about this specific folder, or it was like a file that Cynthia, I guess, had either shown her before or had mentioned that she had before. And this file contained a lot of information about Terry. And this is all information that would be necessary to give to a hitman, like pictures of Terry and his address and the layout of his home, where he works, what his schedule is, all those kinds of things. 
So Cynthia immediately put on gloves and she pulled this file out of her cabinet. And this whole time she's talking and making these comments about how she didn't want to have fingerprints on the file. And so that's why she put the gloves on. And then she started like wondering out loud if Clorox wipes will clear away fingerprints. So she has clearly put a lot of thought into this down to this like detail yeah. of not even not even touching these pieces of paper because she knows, you know, what she's doing is obviously very, very serious and very against the law. So she continued to talk about the specifics of her plan, saying that it would be great if the murder could look like it was a suicide. And she boasted that she would have this airtight alibi. And then she said that her alibi would either be that she would be at work or she would be at Macy's. I know. I was like, Macy's the person or Macy's the store? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Macy the person seems like a better alibi. But I guess, you know, if she's at the store, then she's banking on surveillance cameras and everything to show she's somewhere else. But yeah, I thought that was a funny one, too. So her plan was just to hang out at work and then just go to Macy's like for the I next guess. few days. I just I didn't. It was just so random. I didn't understand why. Yeah. Why that was the case. So the police that are listening in on this conversation are, of course, absolutely astonished at what they're hearing. But they had already instructed the patient to try and get Cynthia to actually schedule a meeting with the person that she believed was going to be her hitman. The police had actually already asked a Hispanic officer if he would be willing to go undercover as a member of the Mexican mafia. And he was going to pretend to be the patient's cousin, Cousin Frankie. They had already set up a fake phone number for Cynthia to call to make these arrangements and to set up a time for payment, which once they exchange money or especially if they, you know, once they discuss money, but especially once they exchange it, that makes it an official transaction. Right. You know, that's what the police need as evidence. So that's what they're trying to get her to set up. So the patient made the first contact with cousin Frankie and they, she did this while she was in Cynthia's office. So Again, she, this patient did such an amazing job. You know, she had to be so nervous getting ready to call this fake phone number and it's, it's acting, you know, and, and right. not everybody is cut out for acting and she really did such a great job. So she just called and, you know, she was like, what's up, cousin Frankie? I have this friend who needs this favor. You know, I need you to go over to this address and take care of the owner there, you know, but just the way that she even went about the whole phone call, it was very like, I, I hate to use the word legit, but yeah. it sounded, it sounded like she knew what she was doing. And like, it definitely did not sound like she was setting Cynthia up no. at all for anything. Mm -hmm. So during the call, Cynthia revealed that she had $4,000 to spend on this hit. And she agreed to meet Cousin Frankie and give him $2,000 up front. And then they would figure out how to meet again once the job was done so that she could give him the remaining $2,000. While the investigators were digging into Cynthia and her background, they discovered that she had contacted another person in regards to having her husband killed. And it was actually another client of hers that happened to have two siblings that were convicted murderers. So I guess Cynthia just hears these people's stories and isn't that it's just, so gross? I mean, it is. It is so disgusting. So it's, I mean, she knows intimate details about these mm -hmm. people's lives and she's using it, you know, against them and for her own gain. It's it's awful. Yeah. So after they learn that she has actually gone around and asked, you know, another person, well, now the police are kind of scared that she may have gone and asked multiple people to kill Terry. And at this point, they felt that these threats were serious enough that they really needed to bring Terry in on what was happening because 
They didn't tell him in the beginning that they were going to be investigating this allegation that this patient had made because, of course, they don't know the dynamic between him and Cynthia. They don't want to cause any problems that aren't, you know, may or may not be there. So he he wasn't even aware of this at this point. But once they started finding out that Cynthia was apparently serious enough about this to ask multiple people to help her, they really knew that they had to tell Terry and make sure that he was safe. So when FBI officers arrive at Terry's home, he was obviously extremely confused about what they were doing there. I can't imagine FBI officers just coming to your house one day. And when they break the news to tell him that his ex-wife had actually put out a hit on his life, his jaw really just hit the floor. He absolutely could not believe that this was real and that this woman he had spent so much of his life with had actually taken these steps to hire someone to murder him. But he did later tell officers about an eerie case of foreshadowing that happened just a couple years before he filed for divorce. We mentioned earlier that the couple had been in a very rough patch for a very long time leading up to their divorce. And during one of the couple's many, many arguments, Cynthia allegedly said, I'm going to kill you or have you killed to Terry. Yikes. Wow. Yikes. Yeah. I wonder if it was just so heated that like that just was like, okay, sure, whatever, you know in the heat of the moment, but I feel like when when somebody says, I'm going to kill you or have you killed, like, right. That's the hairs on the back of your neck. It's a very strange thing to say, especially if they eventually go on to try and have you killed. Yeah. So he requested an order of protection at that time, but since it was just based on words and not actions, he was actually unable to get one. He naturally just assumed that these were words spoken in anger or that Cynthia was speaking in hyperbole, but it had a whole different meaning now that Cynthia had actually attempted to hire a hitman. The FBI helped Terry get out of his house and get into a hotel to keep him safe. Terry was super thankful that the police were on his side, but he was still terrified because no one knew just how many people had been approached about murdering him. So he brought along his gun with him just in case he was attacked. Yeah, I okay, so now they know of two people that she sat and talked to. How many more people are out there? She's talking to these patients every day. She could have five more people on this. But also, that's why are you having multiple people in on this? Like, isn't that the first rule of any sort of, not that I'm giving rules out, like hitman or murder or anything? Like, you don't want a bunch of people to know about it. That's just more people that can talk. So this was obviously a very stressful and very scary time for Terry, as you can imagine, While the investigation was going on, the FBI had Terry moving from place to place, never keeping him in the same spot for too long for his safety. Terry said he felt like a prisoner in his own body during this time. He couldn't tell his family or his friends where he was. He couldn't focus on work, and he spent every day just praying for everything to get resolved and for peace of mind that he was safe. And there is still more to this story that we are going to get into right after one last word from this week's sponsors. We are fully emerged into Florida summer, and with the summer comes the sun, which means my eyes need, nay, they demand sunglasses, which is why I'm in love with my brand new sunnies for movement. I decided to go with the Hyde style, which to me is a great combination of a classic and a modern style, and best of all, my new sunglasses are super adorable and light. I've always hated actually wearing sunglasses because they feel really heavy on my nose, but these are perfect. And like all the movement styles, it came with the option of polarized lenses, which I went with so I never have to worry about the harsh summer light on my sensitive mole eyes. Movement doesn't think you should have to choose between overpriced designer sunglasses and cheap shades that won't last you all summer. Movement sunglasses start at $60 and no pair prices over $95. So you're guaranteed to find a style you love with quality that doesn't break the bank. 
They've sold over two and a half million products across more than 160 countries, and their collections are always expanding. Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com slash moms. See why movement keeps growing. Check out their expanding collection. Go to mvmt.com slash moms. Join the movement. Mandy and I have had our Rothy's for a few weeks now, and I can gleefully say these are my favorite pair of shoes, and there's not even a close second. We're headed to CrimeCon this week, and I am only packing my Rothy's and a pair of heels. I can't think of any other pair of shoes that would be as comfortable to wear for four days of conferences and all the walking I've been warned I'll be doing. All this while being stylish and versatile, they are the everyday flats for life on the go. They'll go with everything from traveling in my comfort wear, aka my mom wear, to dresses and skirts. And Rothy's are seamlessly crafted from recycled water bottles, and yet they are somehow still ultra comfortable as soon as you put them on. To date, Rothy's has diverted over 25 million water bottles from landfills. They also need no break-in period, which is a dream when you can find cute shoes that you just want to wear. And best of all, if they need a little refresh, you can just drop them into the washing machine. It's like they were made just for me. Plus, Rothy's always comes with free shipping and free returns and exchanges. No risk, no worries, no reason not to try. Check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com slash moms. Go to rothys.com, that's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash moms to get your favorite flats. Comfort, style, and sustainability. These are the shoes you've been waiting for. Head to rothys.com slash moms today. And now back to the episode. So now we're at the point in the story where Cynthia is going to finally have this meetup with Cousin Frankie, who is actually an undercover police officer, as we said a little bit earlier. And she's going to be dropping off this $2,000 to contract this killing, this murder for hire on her ex-husband, Terry. So she's going to meet with Cousin Frankie and give him the money and discuss all these other pertinent details that he will need to carry out this killing. This was a huge operation for the FBI who knew that they only had one shot to get this right and to get the evidence that they needed to prosecute Cynthia. The plan was to meet up in a gas station parking lot that was 75 miles away from Cynthia's home. She was supposed to show up and identify Cousin Frankie's car and get inside of it where, of course, there would be cameras rolling. A SWAT team as well as several undercover agents were put on the task just in case anything unexpected were to happen. The undercover officer playing the part of Cousin Frankie had never done this type of undercover operation before because typically he just worked on narcotics cases, but he had never done anything as serious as a murder for hire. So he was also nervous going into this meeting because he didn't really know what to expect. Once all of the officers had taken their places, all that was left to do was wait for Cynthia to show up. But the time that they agreed to meet came and went and there was no sign of Cynthia. But a few minutes later, she called Cousin Frankie and she confirmed that she was still coming and she was sorry, but she was running a little bit late. When Cynthia finally arrived, the police were happy to see that she was alone and she hadn't tried to bring any friends along. After spending several minutes just sitting in her own car while the FBI and SWAT teams are just kind of standing around looking at her, Cynthia finally called Cousin Frankie and just kind of randomly suggested that they move to a different location than the one that they were at. So the officers, of course, are scrambling because they know they have to maintain surveillance of this whole thing that's about to go down. But 
they also can't let her know, you know, that they are watching her or that there's anything weird right. about this whole situation. So the officers really were all thrown for a loop whenever she said she wanted to move to another spot. You know, they had already set up such a big surveillance team and a, this, it's this whole operation. So when they get to this new location, Cynthia got out of her vehicle and she got into the car that she believed belonged to Cousin Frankie. She was visibly nervous and a little standoffish when she first got into the car, which no kidding. I feel like the gravity of what you're doing, I hope, would start to sink in at that moment. Right. When you're when you're getting in this guy's car and like you know what you're there for, I would think that would be a heavy moment. Yeah. So in an attempt to lighten the mood and make Cynthia feel more comfortable, the undercover officer posing as cousin Frankie came up with this brilliant idea and he really flipped the script on Cynthia and he jokingly asked her if she was a cop trying to set him up. That was so which, great. That was so awesome because it just made Cynthia absolutely forget about the fact that he could be a cop. <laughs> and so she so she relaxed and just got down to business. She pulled out the file that she had created with all of Terry's personal information. And she was explaining, you know, this is the layout of the home. It's 1,800 square feet. It's this big house. This is the best place for you to, you know, go inside. I think she told him to enter through the dining room. And she had said that, you know, at this time of night, this is what he's usually doing. So, you know, you'll find him in his office or you'll find him on the couch if you go at this time. She was giving all of these details to help along this murder. Wow. So she it's just it's it's just all very incriminating, you know, and now all of this is on tape. They have her right. saying all of these things. So meanwhile, while she's in the car having all this conversation, she's also doing a lot of ranting and raving about all the reasons why she's just really wanting to have this murder carried out. And she's talking about how she and her kids are going to be homeless once this divorce is finalized and the house that Terry is now living in is going to no longer be her home. So she starts going on to say that she doesn't really want to know any details or she doesn't really care how this murder is done. She said in her words that she didn't care if it was messy or clean or, you know, she didn't even want to know the method anything about it. She said, like, if the police came and talked to her, she wanted to actually truly not know any details, right. which obviously it doesn't matter because all of this is being recorded and you're going to jail anyways. <laughs> but <laughs> so something interesting that she also said was that she had actually been planning this for six months and she was just waiting for the stars to align and for the right person to come along to be her hitman. So suddenly in the middle of talking about all of this, Cynthia spotted the FBI van that was parked nearby with two snipers inside, although she did not know that they were snipers in there or that they were even police officers, but she was just having this moment of paranoia. So the undercover officer kind of talked her through that and got her back on track. And then it was time at this point in the conversation to seal the deal. And Cynthia took out $2,000 in cash and handed it to Cousin Frankie. The two of them came up with a plan for how she would pay the officer the other half once the job was completed. And Cynthia had actually put a lot of thought into this part of her plan. And she knew that she didn't want to have, I guess, in her mind, it was smart of her to not have any contact right. with this hitman again after this meeting. And they were going to use a code word. So whenever he were to send her a text message or call her or alert her in some way, he would need to use the word gym, like going to the gym. And... That would be the code for the job is done and Terry has been killed. So they agree that they're going to do this texting thing where, you know, they send the 
we're going to meet at the gym sort of thing, which means Terry's dead. And Cynthia would then know that that's when she needs to go and meet Frankie at this specified location to hand off the additional $2,000. Now that she's just exchanged this money for murder, the police had enough to arrest her, but they wanted to give her one last chance to back out of the whole thing. The undercover officer told Cynthia that he would be killing Terry within 24 hours and that once they left the parking lot, there's no turning back. Without skipping a beat, Cynthia snapped back that she didn't want to turn back. After what was nearly a three-hour meeting, she then got back into her own car and drove away. So the police technically have enough to arrest her at this point, but they decide to just follow her and try to get even more evidence against her. They let her return to her day as normal, and then at 4 a.m. the next morning, Cousin Frankie sent a text to Cynthia's phone telling her that Terry had been successfully murdered. I guess I'm going to the gym, basically, is what he said. Right. Yeah. Upon hearing the news, Cynthia walked outside her house to smoke a cigarette. Officers were already staking out her house, and they moved in to arrest her. But first, they gave her the fake death notification. They approached her as though they were legitimately there to tell her that her ex-husband had been killed and that they needed her to come down to the police station just to answer a few questions. That way they could figure out, you know, what happened to him. So the officers even say, you know, hey, Cynthia, we know you're so upset about this. We'll just drive you. You know, you don't need to be driving in this state. So they drive her to uh, the police station to have this conversation with her. So once Cynthia's in the interview room, though, she starts to kind of realize something's going on and the police reveal the truth about why she's there. They confront her about whether or not she had hired this Hispanic man for a contracted killing. And of course, Cynthia denies the allegation. You know, I have no idea what you're talking about. I would never do that, blah, blah, blah. Until the police tell her that they knew she had done just that. One officer says something along the lines of, well, your ex-husband's not dead. And before Cynthia could even process what had just happened, she was placed under arrest for solicitation to commit first-degree murder. Cynthia attempted to feign incompetency, but her attorney believed she was competent. And after several competency hearings, it was determined that Cynthia would stand trial for her actions. Cynthia ended up pleading guilty to a lesser charge of aggravated kidnapping, which carried a sentence of 20 plus years in prison. Terry spoke in court about how his life had been completely changed as a result of Cynthia's actions. He said he still lives in fear now and has a much harder time trusting people. His life has been forever changed since this has happened. Cynthia's lawyers told the court that she should be considered for a lighter sentence because she'd never been in trouble before and that these were extenuating circumstances surrounding her decision to have Terry killed, a.k.a. she wanted to keep money and he was in the way. All right. So Cynthia said at the time that her life was in shambles. The couple's divorce had taken a toll on her. She didn't have a car and she was severely in debt. She said, due to all these life-altering events, I temporarily lost my moral compass. Well, I'm so glad she found it after. Good for her. (laughs) My gosh. The judge ended up handing down a sentence of 20 to 25 years with credit to time served. Wow. So very, very early on, you and I, one of our first episodes we did was on Dahlia DiPolito. And that's what this story kind of reminds me of, where it never actually takes place that there is no murder, but it's the thought behind. It's the planning behind all of it, which is terrifying and how quickly people can just say, even when they're given an out, you know, like she was given an out by Cousin Frankie to say, you know, I don't want to do this or, you know, let's let's not or literally anything she never had to go through with it but she was like absolutely 100 percent. i'm gonna do this don't want to talk about it don't want to know what's going to happen just do it you just do it give me as few details as possible i want him dead oh it's 
in my brain, it just is so easy for her. I don't know how to explain that. It's so easy for her to just kind of say that. You know, if you're the one committing the murder, that's one thing, right? You have to actually go through with it. But to pay somebody and everything, it's like you're kind of washing your hands of it. I don't know. It's just so gross. So I'm thankful that Terry was never killed and thankful that this patient was able to come forward and was brave enough to come forward and didn't, you know, fall prey to her because that person's a victim too. Right. Yeah. She was very fast thinking right from the beginning whenever she first heard this, you know, idea that Cynthia had. And honestly, if it wasn't for her, I mean, Cynthia may have actually hired a hitman and had him killed. I mean, she had like uh, several people (laughs) in the wings waiting to do it. It was just a matter of who was going to do it. She was going to have it done. And thankfully, you know, this one patient goes to the police and was able to do all this. My goodness, this person was just pretty incredible to be able to, you know, keep her cool with all of this. So hopefully her her life and her kids, all of that worked out because I really need a good ending to something in this story. So that was the story for this week. Before we go for the week, we're going to do our last thing before we go questions. And the first one is one that is really interesting. It's from Katie M in our Facebook group. And she's actually asked this. I've seen her ask it a couple different times. So I wanted to do this one. So she wants to know what is our Myers-Briggs personality type? I have seen a lot of people that have taken this test. And I guess it's like a pretty popular personality test. I have never taken it. We just took one. Did you take the same one I took, Melissa? I did. I did. Okay. So we just took a little free one. Um, Katie linked a free one online, and we took that. I know that some people have these. They, like, actually go to, like, a psychologist to have these administered. So it's, like, a big deal. So we did not do all of that. I don't know how different the tests are. Obviously, I've never taken the kind that you pay for. I don't know what the difference would be, but we took this one on the internet. And um, <laughs> so according we know to- it's true. <laughs> but we'll link it in the show notes if you wanted to take that as well, because it's it's really interesting. Yeah, so it was pretty it was pretty cool and it didn't take me very long to answer the questions and they were pretty easy for me to answer. So according to that, um, my thing was an entertainer. And I guess the letters actually mean something at the end, but I don't really know what they mean. So whatever they mean, I'm going to say a few words about what they ended up meaning. It was E-S-F-P-T. And so according to this, I was actually reading this. It was pretty accurate. I read like all the stuff that it gave me and I thought it was actually pretty accurate. So it did say that I am 74% extroverted, which I would totally agree with. Melissa probably would also. And then I'm more observant than intuitive and I 72% make decisions based on feelings and not thinking, which is super, super accurate about me. I laughed at that so hard. And then when it came to um, how confident I am in my abilities and my decisions, I am 71% turbulent on that. So that does not sound good. No. Uh, <laughs> I like that the word is turbulent. Like, so we know this I. is the mess. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then it just went on to list some characteristics that I thought were very fitting of me. Like, you know, I, th- I have an eye for fashion. I mean, that's me, right? All, all day. I, I can see her notes and she put eye for fashion question mark. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so then it just had other things like social and outgoing and, you know, but they had like bad things too, like that I'm like super bored all the time and unfocused, highly emotional. 
I don't internalize anything. I just share every feeling I have. <laughs> so yeah, I thought it was pretty accurate and spot on. And what did you say? I see your note where you said the one thing they got wrong in the... Oh, <laughs> I was... Debating whether I wanted to say oh, that you don't or not. Have to, um, don't want to. No, <laughs> no, I am. Um, so they had like a section on there about like parenthood, like how how this personality type is as a parent. And the first like sentence was like, playing with children is a genuine pleasure for this personality type. And it just made me laugh because we've already talked on the show about how that is not a genuine pleasure in my life. <laughs> not genuinely, that's for sure. <laughs> so I had uh, taken this. I actually think yours is really accurate. It was kind of interesting to read all of all of the little things you had in there. I I took this a while ago and I got this same answer and I thought like it made sense, but then it just didn't seem quite quite there. So I took it again today, uh, thinking I would get the exact same answer, and I did not. I got the console as my my thing, ESFJ A something. So basically, mine. And I actually felt like mine was accurate, but then I also felt kind of weird saying mine was accurate because there's really nice things about it. But then that's part of the thing that you kind of don't <laughs> don't <laughs> believe those things and don't want to like share those things. So I, a couple of the notes they had is the best careers are the additional benefit of providing their most important requirement to feel appreciated and know they've helped someone. You know me. And like, if I feel like I've helped somebody in something, like that's my favorite thing in the world. If you've sent me an email and I can do something to make something work something out, that's like the happiest I'll be all day. Like I live for that. 100%. Yeah. Yes. And like (laughs) not, I've never been somebody that's like, you got to pay me a lot of money when I worked outside of doing this and stuff. I'm just like, if you just tell me I'm doing a good job, you can get away with paying me almost nothing because like I just need that little <laughs> little tiny bit um very loyal I think that's probably good oh wait here it is 56% extroverted yeah I would actually think I'm a little more extroverted but one of the questions I remember them asking is like do you get exhausted if you've been on and we've talked about this a million times that is 100% me I if I am talking to a lot of people I I do really really well for a while and then I crash like somebody has just drained the life force out of me. 73% observant, 79% feeling. I was actually surprised about that, but I do make a lot of, I feel like I make decisions that are logical, but I like can be swayed by my feeling, but I'm always going to be like, follow the rules. That's just how I'm going to be. Strong sense of duty, sensitive and warm. I like that one. <laughs> and then, oh, the one of the big ones I liked was, um, sorry, let's talk about myself, but um that you're social and comfortable and like in, in those sort of things, but you're very into like personal relationships. And I, I see that with myself. Like I want to reach out to people and check on people and stuff like that. Like that's, that's my personality. If I'm friends with you, I'm always going to be checking in on you. If I, you don't hear from me, I probably, <laughs> we're not that close because I want to know how you're doing. <laughs> so I really liked it. I thought it was, I mean, it made me feel good about myself. I yeah, did say I'm too needy. And I was like, well, that's hurtful, but definitely true yeah so I thought this I thought these were pretty spot on yeah I did too I thought they were pretty accurate that was a really good question I was happy to take that little quiz and find out I know it was it was things I didn't know I wanted to know about myself I know I liked it yeah so if you guys want to take that I'll I will have it linked in the show notes and then you can say thank you Melissa for putting it in the show notes and that'll just make my entire life (laughs) (laughs) because that's how I work so All right. I think that's it for the week, right? We were just doing that one. 
Yeah, that kind of went on for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's something about taking things personally in mind. And yep, there is. And thank you for that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean you. No, that's totally fine. Um, We actually had to stop recording in the middle. Something happened. So this is like the second half is a little more loopy because now it's Midnight. Okay. It is. Midnight. (laughs) All right. Mandy, have a great week. Everyone have a great week. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms of Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.